When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. We're going to get right into this, the second in our two-part series of episodes on Bigfoot, as we have a returning guest who's passionate about the subject. Author W.T. Watson talks to us from his home in Kitchener, Ontario, about his latest book, Sasquatch Canada, Beyond British Columbia. You can follow W.T. Watson on Facebook and Twitter, and his books are available on Amazon. Here's Morgan. In part two of our Sasquatch journey. We take a look at some places that aren't often associated with the big guy. When you think of Bigfoot, what comes to mind? Forests, mountains, snowy ice scapes. What about farmland, prairie, the Maritimes? No? Well, you're not alone. But the reality is a huge portion of Sasquatch encounters don't come from the Rockies or the Sierras at all, but from provinces in Canada that are often forgotten on this cryptid journey. In 1957, sworn before the city of Edmonton, the province of Alberta, on the 26th day of August, a fellow by the name of William Rowe signed an affidavit, which till today remains in record. He said, Ever since I was a small boy, Back in the forests of Michigan, I've studied the lives and habits of wild animals. Later, when I supported my family in northern Alberta by hunting and trapping, I spent many hours just observing the wild things. They fascinated me, but the most incredible experience I ever had with a wild creature occurred in a little town in British Columbia, about 80 miles west of Jasper, Alberta. I'd been working on the highway for about two years. In October 1955, I decided to climb five miles up Micah Mountain to an old deserted mine, just for something to do. I came in sight of the mine about three o'clock in the afternoon after an easy climb. I had just come out of a patch of low brush into a clearing when I saw what I thought was a grizzly bear in the bush on the other side. I'd shot a grizzly near that spot the year before. This one was only about 75 yards away, but I didn't want to shoot it for I had no way of getting it out. So I sat down on a small rock and watched, my rifle in my hands. I could see part of the animal's head and the top of one shoulder. A moment later, it raised up and stepped out into the opening. Then 
I saw. This was not a bear. This, to the best of my recollection, is what the creature looked like and how it acted as it came across the clearing directly toward me. My first impression was of a huge man about six feet tall, almost three feet wide, and probably weighing somewhere near 300 pounds. It was covered from head to foot with dark brown, silver-tipped hair, but as I came closer, I saw by its breasts that it was female. And yet, its torso was not curved like a female's. Its broad frame was straight from shoulder to hip. Its arms were much thicker than a man's arms and longer, reaching almost to its knees. Its feet were broader proportionately than a man's, about five inches wide at the front and tapering to much thinner heels. When it walked, it placed the heel of its foot down first, and I could see the gray-brown skin or hide on the soles of its feet. It came to the edge of the bush I was hiding in, within twenty feet of me, and squatted down on its haunches. Reaching out its hands, it pulled the branches of bushes toward it and stripped the leaves with its teeth. Its lips curled flexibly around the leaves as it ate. I was close enough to see that its teeth were white and even. The shape of this creature's head somewhat resembled that of a gorilla. The head was higher at the back than the front. The nose was broad and flat. The lips and chin protruded farther than its nose. But the hair that covered it, leaving bare only parts of its face around the mouth, nose and ears, made it resemble an animal as much as a human. None of this hair, even on the back of its head, was longer than an inch, and on its face it was much shorter. Its ears were shaped like a human's ears, but its eyes were small and black, like a bear's. Its neck was also unhuman, thicker and shorter than any man's I had ever seen. He went on to say, I leveled my rifle. The creature was still walking rapidly away, again turning its head to look in my direction. I lowered the rifle. Although I have called the creature it, I felt now that it was a human being, and I knew I would never forgive myself if I killed it. Just as it came to the other patch of brush, it threw its head back and made a peculiar noise that seemed to be a half-laugh and half-language, and which I can only describe as a kind of whinny. Then it walked from the small brush into a stand of lodgepole pine. I stepped out into the opening and looked across a small ridge just beyond the pine to see if I could see it again. It came out on the ridge a couple of hundred yards away from me, tipped its head back again, and again emitted the only sound I had heard it make. But what this half-laugh, half-language was meant to convey, I do not know. It disappeared then and I never saw it again. Years later, on the Victoria Long weekend of 1988, a fascinating story took place in the Crandall Campground located in the Waterton Lakes National Park in the southwest corner of the province. There were two couples with two cars at one campsite. A fellow by the name of Thomas Steenberg wrote in his second book, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, the Continuing Mystery, published in 1993. I heard first of this incident three months after it happened when Susan Ray Adams contacted me and told me of her story. She called me on the night of August 24, 1988, after seeing my ad in the Calgary Press. I made arrangements to visit her home 
and interview all four witnesses separately. So impressed with this story, I delayed production of my book. Thomas Steenberg continues. When I visited Susan's home, all four witnesses questioned me extensively about Sasquatch in general. It was obvious all were still on pins and needles three months after their encounter with a Sasquatch. I was also handed a copy of a handwritten letter, which one of four, Darwin Giles, wrote for the park warden's office the next day. Monday, May 23rd, at approximately 12.50 a.m. at Crandall Lake Campground, we spotted a very unusual animal. We were sitting at our campfire when we heard some snorting. We assumed it was a deer, but upon further observation, we decided it was a bear and bolted for our cars. The animal was on its hind legs, and we switched on the headlights of one of the vehicles. From the shadows, I could see the animal was moving on its hind legs, so I called to the other vehicle to turn on its lights. What we saw was incredible. This animal was not only on its hind legs. It was striding like a human. We watched as it walked through the trees for at least three to four seconds. Immediately thought it was a joke. We are all convinced it was not a bear. We jumped into the same vehicle and followed in the general direction. It disappeared. We came across another vehicle and flashed our lights. These people had also sighted something very strange and were quite scared. This confirmed that we had both seen the same thing. It's important to note that we are four mature, responsible, professional people. We thought very carefully before coming in to report this incident at the warden's office. All four of us are convinced this was not a bear. I am equally convinced it was not a practical joke. And if it was, it was pretty elaborate and well done. From our sighting, the description we can give you is as follows. The animal was approximately eight feet tall, as measured by the tree it was standing beside in our campsite. The animal was never on all fours. When we switched on the headlights and got a good look, this thing was striding and big strides at that. It also had long arms, which were swinging while it moved through the bush. It wasn't a bear, okay? I don't know what more I can write about this incident. Would appreciate hearing anything that might explain what we saw or additional sighting, if any. These are just a minute fraction of the stories which are coming from the wonders of Canada and in places which are, for all intents and purposes, unexpected. Join us now for our discussion with author Travis Watson for this unique conversation on Canadian Sasquatch. So this is a, a great conversation that we're about to have because it always is uh, with you, Travis. And I'm so looking forward to this here. You know, last week we just had uh, Alexander uh, Petikoff on talking about uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, you know, whatever name that people uh, uh, associate with these these amazing creatures on to talk about uh, Alaska. And today we get to make this a little bit more close to home and bring this home a little bit with with Bigfoot in Canada with your brand new book. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today. Um, I'm happy to be back again. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you guys. 
it's always so much fun because I always feel like we get so much out of these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean, Mike? Like, I, it's it, it. I learn something new every time we sit down with something like this, and I'm excited about your book because oftentimes when people think about Bigfoot, they think about uh, BC, they think about Sierra Mountains, they think about all of these places where all these hotspot sightings have been uh, documented over the years. And here you've decided to do something completely different uh, and, and swing outside of those of those hotspots into the rest of Canada, which I don't think a lot of people realize there's a lot of Sasquatch around Canada. There are. Um well, and that is precisely the reason that I did the book the way I did. Um, when I was doing my research for Canadian Monsters and Mysteries, which we've also talked about, um, I decided uh, early on that there were a couple of things I just wasn't going to be able to do uh, to include in the book, or it would be, you know, 500 page monolith. Uh, one was uh, hauntings, because Canada's got a rich history of, of, of ghosts. Um, the other thing was Sasquatch, um, because again, Canada has a, a rich history, rich uh, you know, set of encounters of, of these creatures. Totally. When I started to do the research for the, and I decided that you know, the Sasquatch book would have to be a completely uh, a different uh, text. And when I started to do the research for the book, I realized very quickly, you know, that most of the books that are written about Sasquatch were written by American authors. And, uh, and they are, you know, and, and that's not to say I'm sure that there are some Europeans that have written on this subject. There's, uh, you know, other Canadian, there are other Canadians that have written on this subject. But, you know, one of the things that I found was, you know, you had these American authors and they're telling American stories and that's great. Um, but when they, they talked about Canada, it was like there was this polar yeah. ice sheet, you know, above the, above the, the, uh, the U.S. border. You know, there's just like this place where these people lived in <laughs> igloos and, and, you know, skied all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, other than BC, which, you know, is obviously a hot spot of, of Sasquatch sightings, um, there wasn't a whole lot of mention of other Sasquatch encounters in, uh, in Canada at large. Um, mm -hmm. Other than there were, a couple, you know, there were a couple of mentions, uh, I think Rene DeHinden in one of his books mentioned uh, uh, a set of sightings that occurred about uh, around the Bighorn Dam, and uh, I believe it's in Alberta. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, Lauren Coleman, in one of his books on, uh, you know, cryptozoological su subjects, which he's written a ton about. Um, Lauren Coleman mentions uh, uh, Yellow Top, which is a, a, a Sasquatch that was seen over a period of years um, in uh, Cobalt, Ontario area. And those are the two that I found that got mentioned, you know, on a more or less regular basis. Um, there were a couple of other sightings that have made it into other Sasquatch books. But for the most part, um, you know, once you get east of British Columbia, Canada sort of disappears into the, the, uh, into the nether regions of, of, you know, Sasquatchery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, 
So I thought, okay, well, fine. Let's take a look and see, you know, how many, you know, Sasquatch sightings there actually are in Canada. And I was amazed. I found Sasquatch encounters in every single province in Canada, except for none of it. Um, and I think that probably, you know, there are probably some encounters in none of it. Um, they're just, you know, not things that people have talked about yet. Um, and I, and I won't be surprised if I don't get an email, you know, sometime after one of these podcasts from Soda Nunavut. So I saw Bigfoot. <laughs> you say you're finding all kinds of uh, sightings all over Canada, but is anybody really keeping track? I know like for UFOs, there's somebody, uh, Chris Rutowski is the sure. guy keeping, keeping track. But um, yeah. is there anybody here in Canada other than yourself, maybe, who's who's keeping track of these kind of things? Well, I can't claim to be the database person for Sasquatch right. in Canada. Um, so the, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Association, uh, which, you know, BFRO, everybody knows about BFRO. They do have Canadian sightings in their database. Okay, so that's one place where uh, people are making reports. There is a, a group of folks that are uh, native to Canada uh, in Alberta, the Alberta Sasquatch Organization, um, uh, who also keep a database um, that's, that's quite nice. Um, and there is a Sasquatch Canada database, um, which is, uh, is also a, a place that, that people will, will make reports to. Neither of those guys are, are as, quite as extensive as the BFRO databases, but uh, they do have some really interesting sightings um, that you don't find um, in, in, the, in the American database. So, um, yeah, there are people that are, are kind of logging these things in. Um, you know, but like I said, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, people just don't realize, yeah, I mean, in my notes for this book, um, I would say, you know, I didn't actually take a count, but in my notes for this book, I probably have notes for something like 200 different encounters across Canada. And that's wow. probably, that's not that's just that's visual sightings. That's not the class what what people call class B encounters, which are, you know, I had a creepy feeling in the woods, or I found tracks, or um, you know, there were vocalizations around me, or those kinds of things. Um, you know, that that to me is a whole separate thing that I intend to deal with in another text. <laughs> but um, yeah, did you notice a difference between? the Canadian Bigfoot stories and other areas of the world, like does Canada have any significant differences or are they pretty much universal? I don't claim to be the world's expert on Sasquatch. You know, there are people obviously who've been doing research in this field for decades. Um, but uh, I, I have been fascinated by this creature since I was a kid and I'm in my 60s now. Um, I actually read, uh, you know, Ivan Sanderson's Abominable Snowman book back when I was in sixth grade. So, um, you know, I've, I've kept my, my, um, awesome. my finger kind of on the pulse of what was going on in, in Sasquatchery uh, over the years. So I, I think I have a pretty good handle on, on the stories that are out there. And, and I don't find uh, 
a whole lot of differences between the Canadian Sasquatch and, you know, the, say, Pacific Northwest Sasquatch. Now, when you start talking about things like the skunk ape in Florida, which tends to be smaller and wirier or more wiry, I guess, um, you know, you might start to see some differences there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to talk about, uh, you know, for instance, Stan Gordon's sightings out of uh, Pennsylvania, you know, and some of the high strangeness that revolves around those sightings, um, if you've read Silent Invasion, you know, there's some really weird stuff in that book. Um, that and, and some of that stuff, you know, involves what he calls Bigfoot. Um, I, I prefer Sasquatch. Um, but, you know, you know, the vast majority of sightings are just, uh, you know, it, it, you could substitute in, I saw a bear in the woods, you know, except that. The bear was eight feet tall, bipedal, and weighed about 800 pounds, <laughs> you know, because oh, um, you know, right. for, for <laughs> the majority of people who have an encounter with Sasquatch, it's, it's like that, you know, they're, they're in the woods, they're doing something, uh, they're hunting, they're, you know, they're forestry people, they're law enforcement officers, they're, uh, you know, there's special forces people in Canadian, uh, Canadian forces. Um, and they see this creature and, you know, it's, it's, it, it looks, it's looks flesh and blood to them. You know, they're, they're very, uh, very, uh, uh, convinced that this is, you know, an animal, it's an unknown primate, it's an unknown hominid, whatever, you know, it's massive, you know, if they get too close to him, to them, to the, the creature, it really scares the bejeebies out of them, you know, but it is very much like a wildlife sighting. And you see that, you know, it is a wildlife sighting to them, you know, and you see a lot of that in, in American stories as well. Um, but there is always that small percentage of stories, um, you know, both in the U.S. and in Canada, that have a high strangeness element to them. Um, you know, it, whether it's, you know, the the creature vanishes in front of the person. Um, I, I have a, a story about mind speak uh, in, in, in my book. Uh, young man is, is out, uh, encounters the Sasquatch picking berries. This is in um, uh, Strathcona Park, if I remember correctly. It was in Alberta. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Strathcona Island Park in Medicine Hat. Yeah. Um, it's this young man, you know, they're, it's summertime. They're off uh, doing their thing, uh, you know, enjoying the river and, and swimming. They decide they're going to go back to their campsite, which is about 150 yards from where they are. And uh, this witness who's, you know, was a child at the time, um, takes off, you know, because he's like, got to get my hot dog, man. Um, he was excited. Um, as often happens with these sightings, uh, the first thing that, that made him stop and consider was an odor. Um, there's a certain percentage of Sasquatch sightings where people will tell you, oh, hey, 
Now, the first thing I noticed was this strong odor. And in this case, the, the, uh, the person reporting likened it to the smell of a newly washed dog that had been rolling in garbage for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. You, you hear, uh, you, hear uh, you know, it smelled like a skunk. It smelled like something rotting. Uh, you know, there just seems to be a general air of, of yuck smell around some of these creatures. Um, there have been people in um, you know, Sasquatch research that have uh, proposed the idea that the animal actually, you know, uh, produces this scent uh, if, if people get too close to them as a way of keeping people at a distance. Um, uh. I don't know if I buy that or not. You know, it may <laughs> just be that Sasquatch are smelly. Who knows? But in any case, this witness is walking through the brush and they turn and they look and they see this large creature um, at a range of about 30 yards. Now, the interesting thing is this Sasquatch was squatting. Um, the, 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 the witness says that, that its buttocks were in, inches from the ground and it's uh, hunched over Saskatoon berry bush and, and you know, doing what most animals would be doing it's it's having a snack um the other interesting thing is that even squatting um the witness stated that this creature was about five feet high <laughs> and about four feet wide <laughs> you know had the classic cone-shaped head and all that sort of thing so he's looking at this thing he has no idea what he's looking at you know he knows it's not a bear which is, you know, the first thing that everybody says is, oh, you saw a bear. It's like, no, it's not a bear. It's too big to be a bear. You know, but he's looking at it. He doesn't know what it is. He has no, no idea. He's never even heard of a Sasquatch, right? So he thinks to himself, what am I looking at? And something in his mind replies, you don't see me. I'm not here. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and he's going wow well, wait a minute no 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 it's like what am i looking at and again he hears the same thing you don't see me i'm not here now when it becomes apparent that you know the witnesses is not going to buy into this whole you know it sounds like an attempt at, at psychic manipulation right this being starts to make a chattering noise and all of a sudden um all this kid can think of is I got to get myself out of here. His, his, his thoughts are just filled with the need to go away, get out of this area. Right. Um, so he takes off for his campsite. Um, and the, the Sasquatch takes off for a Creek nearby Creek. So they kind of go in opposite directions. The witness gets into uh, the campsite. And of course, the first thing everybody says, Oh, well, you saw a bear. He says, that doesn't look like any bear I'd ever seen. <laughs> Obviously, he'd seen a bear before. So then his family starts joking and said, oh, you must have seen a Sasquatch. He's, he didn't even know what that was. Um, and when someone finally explained to him what a Sasquatch was, he said, yeah, yeah, that's what I saw. Um, so, you know, it was just a really, really interesting sighting. And, you know, a lot of Sasquatch researchers now are, are into this idea that, um, you know, the Sasquatch might produce infrasound, you know, and that this could uh, that this could account for the feelings of paralysis or terror that some people feel when they encounter these creatures. But infrasound doesn't explain the voice in his head telling him, you don't see me, I'm not here. <laughs> right. Know? 
Well, it's, it's interesting that you bring that story up because like I like you, I'd heard about encounters like this as well before and I didn't know what the heck to think of it I was just kind of, I was really on the fence I was like ah you know maybe these people are just responding to like their mm-hmm. their own fear which was what I was originally thinking and so I, I have a friend here in Alberta who hunts regularly she hunts in everywhere from Edson Hinton all over the place and she had an encounter not far from Edmonton that was really chilling she's because she's a hunter she's she's had a couple of encounters with with things like this and with with sasquatch and she described the exact same thing she had been leaving Mm -hmm. a friend's house in the woods and she was going to her truck and she i can't remember whether she saw or heard or but she perceived this one that was kind of off into the woods around this this guy's house which they were common in that area and mm-hmm. she got the distinct feeling that same level of of terror and not just like oh something's wrong but mm-hmm. absolute terror and this very distinct thought in her head and she described it as this wasn't my thought this was something else and she said all it said was I, I will end you like you will be no more mm-hmm. if you stay here. And it wasn't like I will kill you. It was I will make you not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And she thought that was so strange because it is such an odd way of thinking. But if you think about how like, a say, for example, an animal or something like that would perceive a death, you know, you're not going to associate it with death. It is now suddenly something ceases to be there. And that was the what she was getting from this. And she said she's never been so terrified in her life. She drove, she said it was kilometers down the road before she felt whatever it was let up. And she said it it was the strangest thing. And she is probably one of the most competent people in my life. Like she is not a flighty person. She's not a fearful person. As I say, she's out in the woods hunting and doing her thing. She's as stable as you want to get them. And she says she's never, ever, ever had that happen to her before or since. Um, but when you told that story, that's what I was thinking of. And the the guy that she was working with had said, yeah, it's, that was, it's, it's Sasquatch on my property. It's interesting. We see these kinds of encounters. I mean, not so much the the mind speak aspect of it, but this this absolute terror thing that comes on people. We see that kind of thing happen a good bit. But yeah, I mean, it's it's easy enough to explain that terror in the context of of, of infrasound if you're in the immediate area of a Sasquatch. But the you know, I I ran across a number of of cases where the person fled the scene and and that terror didn't let up until they had gotten some distance away. Um, So you have to think that the the terror reaction is not just, you know, this creature making a sound in its immediate area and, 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 you know, causing disturbances. Infrasound does produce feelings of fear and 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 those kinds of you know dizziness nausea the kinds of things that you're described in a lot of sasquatch encounters but it has a distinctive range right um and once you you're out of that range you should be okay but a lot of these witnesses aren't they're so terrified that they you know uh, there's a the case in the book where somebody went to a, a lake and encountered a sasquatch cedar lake i believe um and they were so terrified 
that it, rather than continuing their drive to visit relatives, I believe it was in northern Alberta again, um, they they went home. Uh, yeah, to Calgary. Um, it was in Alberta. So they just they just went home and, and holed up in their house and, and you know, uh, they they called their uh, their uh, some of their relatives and who actually talked them into coming out and going back to the site and, and looking at because the person was convinced that if they you know if they hadn't gotten back on the horse basically and gotten back out into the wilderness when they did. They might have never gone into the woods again. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, a real, that's a really common, uh, you know, a common story that people mm-hmm. seem to be having. Like this, this wasn't uh, wasn't in Canada, but down in the Sierra Mountains, um, a, a Facebook friend of mine, uh, Alan Thomas, who's been public about his encounter for a long time, and he said he didn't go back into his the woods after that for six years, mm-hmm. and it was it was a long, long time. Because I mean, see, I, you know, I I've said before on the show like i've been had encounters with with dogman and things like that i've never seen a bigfoot but i i I don't know like there's there's something about that to me that i I don't know whether that's an uncanny valley thing or what but there's something about that i think that is so scary you know i would want to have a doctor check me out you know (laughs) like am i losing my mind i'm hearing things in my head Mm -hmm. and seeing things that may or may not be there yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. Oh, go ahead, Morgan. So, oh no, I, I was I was just going to say, um, you'd mentioned Calgary, and I I know during during the lockdowns here, mm-hmm. there were sightings in and around closer to Calgary as well, and it seems like it seems like a lot of these creatures. I know in in Alberta specifically that they seem to be coming a lot closer to populations than they were prior uh, did you find that too uh, in your research? what i saw was that a lot of these uh um sightings that that people reported did happen in the wilderness but there were some that were in what you would call suburban areas but they happened to be adjacent to large tracts of forest so you know it, it's pretty yeah. obvious the, the the creatures you know prefer the wilderness <laughs> but there are things that will draw them in sure um, I had a, I have one roadside sighting um, in, um, in St. Catharines. <laughs> Two truckers were driving along the QEW and saw a Sasquatch in a creek bed uh, in, in St. Catharines. Now, you know, 150,000 people, uh, but I know from, uh, from my own um, romping and stomping around here in Kitchener that uh, the wildlife use the creek beds and, and waterway uh, waterways around here to to travel in um, you know I've seen foxes and all kinds of other creatures and and I know I've talked to locals who told me that they've seen deer down in those those uh, waterways you know if there are deer we know the Sasquatch like deer <laughs> um, that's that's pretty much a, yep. a settled thing amongst researchers Um you know, so who knows? You know, they may have actually seen a Sasquatch right there in in, in the middle of you know a civilized area. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about yeah. hunters. Um, you know, and and hunters do comprise a, a good number of, of people who've seen Sasquatch. And you've talked about how, and you talked about how your your friend is is you know the you know the solid person. You know, somebody that, that you you would rely on for information. Uh, 
There's another Alberta story that's one of my favorites from the book. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a story in, uh, that comes from the Alberta Sasquatch people. Um, and this is uh, actually a story from a gentleman who was a special operations a soldier um, in the Canadian forces. And this happened during the time when he was on active duty. Um, he was on a training exercise in, uh, uh, in the area of Wainwright, uh, Alberta, uh, back in May of 1983. Um, he had another specialization as, a, as an electronics person. Um, and he and his partner, uh, person that he worked with, were driving a camouflage truck, trying to find a piece of electrical equipment that they were supposed to repair. Um, so this is back in the days before, you know, GPS, of course. So they stopped the truck. His partner had a topographical map out on the hood of the, the truck. And he's trying to figure out from the coordinates that they got where this, this piece of equipment was that they were looking for. Um, which left our trooper friend at, at, at loose ends while his you know buddy was trying to figure out where they were going so he's looking off down the the road a uh, little dirt road that they're on you know they're parked there in their camouflage truck um and he sees a deer off in a fire break you know in addition to being a soldier he's also a hunter had been bow hunting since he was a young man uh and, and uh so he's watching the deer with some interest and as he's watching he sees a Sasquatch break cover on four legs coming fast. As it's moving, this creature comes to two legs, snags this deer, snaps its neck, throws it across its shoulder, and disappears into the brush so quickly that he doesn't even have a chance to poke his partner and say, hey, look, there's a Sasquatch. Yeah. Wow. It all happens wow. that fast. Um, and, you know, he was dumbfounded, you know, because A, he'd just seen something that wasn't supposed to exist. B, it was probably seven and a half to eight feet tall. And, and again, easily four feet wide. He describes it as built like a football player. He's close enough to this creature to where he can see the hair flowing in, in, in the breeze that it, it, as it's moving along and it bounces as it's running, right? And he describes the head as that, you know, that typical conical shape. Now, this man had been to Africa and he had seen cheetahs hunt gazelle and he likened the speed and agility of this creature to a cheetah. Now, that's something Jeez. from a creature that's supposed to be eight feet tall and you know several hundred pounds right you always think of and the i lumber. think that yeah yeah i i think that part of the reason yeah. that we find sasquatch to be really intimidating is the sheer physicality of these animals whatever they are mm -hmm. um you know whether they're you know whether they're actually a, an unknown primate a, an unknown hominid or something else <laughs> Um, just the, the, the sheer yeah. size and speed and power of this, this creature is enough to intimidate anybody. 
you know, including your friend, uh, you know, without the whole mind speak thing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean the energy, I, I think just that people just, people mm-hmm. describe, I mean, it's, it, it's absolutely incredible. And well, I mean, what, you're saying too is is scary on a number of levels because of course you know what's come into the public eye over the last you know x number of years mm-hmm. has of course yeah. been the missing 411 and these people that have been you know just literally seem to up and disappear and oftentimes you hear like mm-hmm. big cats get blamed for it and and things like this but there's also this element where a lot of people have suggested could this actually be something like Sasquatch or some sort of cryptid. What, well, what's you know, your take on that? I have very mixed feelings about that. Because on the one hand, uh, the vast majority of Sasquatch sightings, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of like seeing a bear in the woods. You know, somebody says, hey, look, there's a giant, you know, bipedal hominid walking across the walking forest. Sure. Yeah. Um, there is a subset of, uh, uh, sightings where the Sasquatch appears to be very Sasquatch or Sasquatches, um, plural, seems to be uh, very territorial and intent on getting people out of their territory. Um, you know, and those kinds of encounters tend to be somewhat like the dogman encounters where uh, the Sasquatch will continue to hound the person until they leave whatever area it is they need to leave. And then they pretty right. much leave them alone. It's like we get the accounts of the dogmen, uh, you know, uh, charging people and, and uh, you know, running them to a certain area and then breaking off their pursuit and going away. Um, so, totally, you know, we see some aggressive tendencies in some Sasquatch. And I think that Sasquatch are probably, you know, somewhat like people, you know, they have different dispositions and some of them are uh, kinder, have a a, a, a disposition that is more amenable to having people around and others have a disposition that isn't. Um, you know, just like you have people who like having people around and you have people who, you know, get tired of having people around. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, now does that mean that there's a certain subset of Sasquatch that maybe like dislike people so much that they're willing to, to take them and, and, uh, and do bad things to them? Uh, that's an, or, or even for just for yeah, food. that's a distinct possibility. You know, right. um, oh, if we boy. go to, if we go to, uh, you know, Kathy Strain's work, um, Cannibals, Giants. Actually, she, yeah, she know, was exactly um, what I was thinking. Of then, then, the you yeah. know, we have to uh, realize that amongst indigenous people, um, who would be the experts on these things, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, there's yeah. a very distinct dichotomy about how they think about these creatures. On the one hand, there are some uh, indigenous folks that that view the Sasquatch as sort of a forest protector or guardian, or in some cases, even the protector of the mm-hmm. tribe. On the other hand, you have, uh, you know, indigenous folks who believe that Sasquatches kidnap their kids and eat them. Um, yeah. So... 
there's no reason why both of those um, uh, thoughts or ideas couldn't be true. Um, you know, so I don't mm -hmm. place it outside the realm of possibility that, you know, the Sasquatch could be responsible for some, not all, but some of these missing 411 cases. I think that there are some things about the missing 411 cases that are even weirder than that. Um, and, you know, Very much then so. we start to get into interdimensional portals and stuff like that. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, I, you know, I know that, that there are, you know, a, a, a group of people out there that want to see the Sasquatches, the gentle forest giant who, yeah. you know, you know, is wandering around having a herbivorous diet and, and all this sort of thing. But that's just <laughs> not true. Um, you know, the, yeah. there are plenty of, of stories of Sasquatch hunting and, 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 you know, and eating meat. Um, so, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not above the idea that Sasquatch might actually supplement their diet with people. Yikes. Yeah, well, I mean, it would, it would make sense. I mean, if you've got, you know, a, a population that, say, is removed or out hunting or, or something like that, that, you know, we might be... <laughs> We might be somewhere on the menu, but, you know, and you've, you you brought up the idea just there uh, about this idea, this sort of mm -hmm. spiritual side to this. And, you know, I, for a long, long time, I was very much opposed mm -hmm. to, to that side of it. I, I was I was very much convinced that this was 100 percent flesh and blood primate that, that was there. And it wasn't until. Uh, I, I was starting to do a little bit more research into and listening to what some of these people were were saying, especially about mm. the glowing eyes. And I thought this was so interesting because of all my work out here with Dogman, that's one of the things that has caught, mm -hmm. I think, everybody the most is that you see these eyes and they're not, yes. it's not eye shine. Yeah, There's yeah. no light. It's like they are emitting their own light um, and they're bright as christmas lights there's just to shine out of the dark and you know you can have no flashlight no nothing and you'll see these bright 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 eyes and then so i was you know listening to some of these encounters and hearing them talk about these bigfoot with these mm -hmm. bright bold red eyes and it's not eye shine and i thought that's so interesting uh because you know as i say years ago before i had anything to do with dogman or anything else my initial reaction was there had to have been a light. It had to mm -hmm. be eye shine. This is a nocturnal animal. And then after that, it was like, this is an eye shine. This is, this is something else. So I, I'm really now looking hard at the, the spiritual side of what these things might be. Is this something that's, that's similar that can be physical when it wants and, and non-physical when it, so well, I, I don't know. I, I would leave it to you guys. The, what are your guys' thoughts? One of the on things that? that I put forward in the book, um, you know, is the idea that we need to get away from either or thinking when it comes to, when it comes to yeah, these things. Totally, there is no reason why it can't be both. You know, there may be exactly a flesh and blood unknown primate or hominid living in wilderness areas throughout the world. I mean, because we we have you know Sasquatch up here, we have you know the Bigfoot in the U.S., we've got Yeti over in, in Asia. Yeah, I mean, it seems obvious that that uh, you know this thing, whatever it is, is a thing all over the world. Um, additionally, 
you know, we know, or, or we think we know, uh, we have a pretty good inkling that there is an intelligence that likes to mess with people. <laughs> you know, and whether that takes the form of UFOs or dogmen or Sasquatches or whatever, um, you know, yeah. there is this sort of trickster element out there that I think, uh, you know, may, may be impersonating this unknown hominid. Mm-hmm. Secondarily to that, when you talk to indigenous people, they almost to a person will tell you that Sasquatch is a being that walks in two worlds. Mm-hmm. That when it is on mm-hmm. this side of the veil, um, what I call the divide between what some people call the, the supernatural world and, and the physical world. I, I don't like those terminologies, but that's kind of words that people understand. When they're on this side of the veil, they are physical. They leave footprints. They leave hair. They poop. They they do the things that animals do. When they're on the other side of the veil, sure. they are spiritual beings. Yeah. Um, so yeah. and in my own you know personal spiritual quest, you know I've talked to people who you know have very much are of the belief um, that. Uh, there are beings that can uh, walk from one world to another world through what they call the etheric plane, gather substance and, and appear as physical beings on on our side of the of the veil. Um, you know, if you read uh, uh, John Michael Greer, um, he wrote a book called Monsters, A Field Investigator's Guide to Magical Beings, which I think should be required reading for anybody who does this stuff. Um, he's a Golden Dawn magician and druid, um, and he puts forth a magical explanation for a lot of the, the weird stuff that we see out there. Um, he doesn't talk about Sasquatches, but he, he does talk about things like werewolves, which we could call dogmen very easily. And uh, vampires and ghosts and, and other things. Um, it's a it's an interesting book, and even if you don't believe a word that he says, it'll make you think um, about about sure. this false dichotomy that we've set up between the the real world, quote unquote, real world, and the supernatural. It's not really supernatural. It's yeah. all natural. It's just on different <laughs> different planes of being. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, Mike, you and I have talked yeah. about this so many times where, you know, so much of it is either stuff that's out of our perception or, you know, there's that nothing really is as we are not necessarily physical or non-physical. Mm-hmm. We're, we're this a blend of, of both yeah. things. I mean, you have only to look at things like out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, and so forth, to, to realize that people are a lot stranger than we think we are. <laughs> you, know? Um, yeah. you know, and only the most die-hard scientific materialist is still clinging to that notion that, you know, our consciousness is, is the product of, you know, brain chemistry. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot more going on out there than, you know, than, than we want to admit. Um, and Sasquatch is a part of that. Yeah, you were talking about the glowing eyes, uh, Morgan. Um, <clears throat> there's actually a story. 
Let's see if I can find this real quick. Yeah, okay. So this is a historical story out of Newfoundland, okay? Hmm. Uh, the Newfoundland Labrador area. Um, comes to us from, uh, let's see, I think it's Bruce Hines' book, um, which dealt all about, uh, dealt with the, um, it's, it's cited in the bibliography. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but uh, dealt with the, the folklore, strange things in um, in the Newfoundland, Newfoundland Labrador area. So he tells a story about a bootlegger. <clears throat> so this would have been back, you know, during more prohibition type era, um, who liked to hide his uh, his his hooch um, in in his garden. Um, <clears throat> so uh, he would go into his garden late at night to dig up. Uh, whatever stash he needed to sell the next day. So one night he's doing this. Um, he's in the process of digging some of these bottles out of the ground. And he's startled to see this very bright light uh, approaching him. Um, and he's watching this light. And as he watches the light, it, it's coming toward him. And it's getting dimmer as it comes until it resolves into this huge, shaggy, two-meter-tall creature with short black hair and glowing eyes. Okay. So the bootlegger is wow. like, oh, my God. You know, yeah. of course, he's seized with terror, right? He stops digging. And as soon as he stops digging this creature starts to move away from him. And, and this light from the eyes becomes dimmer and dimmer. And eventually it, it fades off into the night and, and disappears. <laughs> Bootlegger's like, okay, okay. So I stopped digging. It went away. He fills the hole and he goes back in the house. He's like, heck with it. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this later, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, one of my lines yeah. from the book books is one suspects that he may have partaken of his own merchandise that evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think I might even be, you know, uh, induced to tipple a little uh, after an encounter like that. So, but you know, there's business to be done. So the next evening he goes back out into his garden. Um, he finds his spot again and he starts to dig. And, if, and as soon as he begins digging, um, the light reappears and approaches him and this horrible creature with glowing eyes manifests itself and is moving toward him and he stops digging. He fills the hole in. He goes back to his house and as often happens in folkloric tales, the story has a moral ending. He decides to give up his life of crime after seeing this critter and goes on to, to you know, less <laughs> exciting forms of commerce. Now, you know, the creature that approaches him certainly sounds like a Sasquatch. It's two meters tall. It's covered in short black hair. But this, it wasn't eye shine. This was definitely yeah. uh, self-illuminating eyes. Now, you know, this story is an uncorroborated folkloric tale. But, you know, as you mentioned, Morgan, we see in, in these encounters uh, repeated mention of uh, this red eye, this red eye shine, and it's not eye shine. This 
red self-illuminating thing. It reminds you of the phantom black dogs and their glowing eyes, right? Um, so that, so that you know, yeah. you once again are forced to say, okay, what is this thing? You know, that, that is producing eye shine that is seen to to disappear. Um, there's a story, you know, in, in this, there's a whole section of the book called strange things. <laughs> there's a story in the straight, yes, it's strange it's a great chapter. where, uh, you know, the fellow in the Yukon sees a, a, a Sasquatch walking along the side of the road and he stops to look at this thing. And as he's watching it, it starts to fade from view. It literally just starts to fade out and disappears as he's looking at it. Now, you know, I know that a lot of, of Sasquatch researchers want to explain these vanishing creatures as a com- combination of, you know, that infrasound terror thing and you get distracted and it, it bails out and, and disappears into the woods. He's watching this thing the entire time and it disappears in front of him. Yeah. It just fades from view. It doesn't just vanish. It just, it, it's like it becomes transparent and then fades out of sight. So again, what are we talking oh, about? So because there's so much, uh, yeah, you know, again, um, and, and this is why I subscribe to that both and theory that there could be a flesh and blood creature out there as well as something else. You know, so many yeah. of the stories that we see are, you know, I was in the woods, I was sitting in my deer blind or whatever, um, you know, and I saw this creature. And it was huge and it was scary, but, you know, it walked away into the woods and that was that, you know, and, you know, for all the world, like a bear or a mountain lion or, you know, whatever, you know, it's just another animal. Yeah. You know, until we come to these, these stranger stories. So there's this juxtaposition. So this is why I think it could be both things, you know. We actually lost yeah. the wood bison in the forests of Canada for 50 years you know, yeah, right. <laughs> until it was rediscovered. The largest yeah. land animal by weight in North America was thought to be extinct for some period of time until some, you know, forestry guy flying along in a plane found a herd of them. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that we could have a a population of of large bipedal primates or hominids wandering the woods of Canada. And, you know, nobody just, you know, they just see them every once in a while when they're wandering around, um, when they happen to be spotted. But then, you know, you have the weird thing. So I agree. You know, I I, want to say, you know, that it's entirely possible that both things are true, that we have a physical being and a spiritual being. And some people are seeing one thing and some people are encountering encountering something on their front porch that you shoot with a shotgun and it vanishes in a flash of light. That's actually a story from Stan Gordon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, well, Mike, you and I, as I say, we've, we've talked about this so much on the show that there's this, there's this non-physical, physical mm-hmm. continuum, you know, that's that's there. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, Mike, what are your, um, what are your yeah, thoughts Yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around all of this, really, because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much, there's so much to unpack. Like we've talked about so many awesome things, especially like... 
when you mentioned losing the wood bison, it's like, oh my gosh, you know what? Why haven't I included that in my arguments to people who say, "Well, this thing can't it can't exist." Now I'm I'm a lot better armed, <laughs> thanks to this discussion that we're having <laughs> with you, Travis. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that, that you know that I like to use as a you know because there are there is a certain group of people out there that are like, well. You know, I've been hunting the woods of Canada for 50 years and I've never seen a Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess you just weren't lucky. <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, and the, and the argument there too is right. like, well, then how yeah. many mountain, how many lions, mountain have lions have you seen? Most people yeah, will exactly. say none. Yeah. Because mountain lions are you what? Know, like, Elusive, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if a Sasquatch yeah, is and, and they don't have near the intelligence right. if a Sasquatch, Sasquatch is half as intelligent as we think it is. Um, you know, then we are uh, going to have trouble finding these things exactly. because they don't obviously want to be found. However, you know, if you spend enough time in the wilderness and you happen to be in the right place at the right time, you know, you might see one. Now, we can also posit that uh, there may be an element of intentionality involved in seeing Sasquatch. Maybe you're in the right place, the right time for the right reason, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And you know, that, that's a whole other, other conversation, but you know, we've talked about Sasquatch. Yeah. We've talked about blowing eyes and Sasquatches vanishing and the possibility of Sasquatches snatching people and eating them and, and, you know, all this horrible stuff, right? Um, I'd like to <laughs> at least give the Sasquatch, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a, 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 the other side of the story, uh, you know, before we, we have to wrap up the conversation. Because there's a, a wonderful story in the book about uh, uh, Carrie. Um, let me see if I can find out. I'll bet she's in Alberta, too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're pretty popular over here with Bigfoot. <laughs> well, there, and you're right. Like as you're as you're finding the story, like it's there. I have heard some absolutely incredible encounters where people have said the Sasquatch actually saved their life on some occasion. Yes. Either saved the life of the their child who has led them led the child out of out of deep woods to a population. Mm -hmm. um, I mean there is a side to these creatures, you know, whatever you want to label them as, that are, you know, is clearly kind hearted and caring and thoughtful. And there's there is just this this seems to be an amazing side to these these critters. Yeah. So this is actually a story out of Manitoba. Um um, and, and this is a, a, a great example of just exactly what you were talking about. Um, this young young woman's name was Carrie, um, and the story takes place during the 60s when she was 11 or 12 years old. Um, this is in the community of Dauphin River, which is uh, home to a group of, uh, of Ojibwe people. Um, now, as you know, uh, some of the, the indigenous people in Canada and in the United States as well live pretty primitive lives. And this was back in the 60s. So one of Carrie's um, uh, chores was carrying water from the nearby creek to her house. Now, this was in the height of berry season. And so she decided she was going to stop and, and uh, pick some cranberries. 
Now, Carrie made two mistakes um, from a search and rescue perspective. One was she wandered off the beaten path, the, the, you know, wandered away from the area that she knew as she was searching for berries and picking berries and eating berries. The other thing was that when she realized that she was lost, she ran. Um, now, mm. I, I was a search and rescue volunteer for a while um, when I first moved to Western New York. And, you know, one of the things that we emphasized in educating people was if you get lost, stay put. <laughs> it makes it much easier for us to find you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, I worked with a dog team and uh, those dogs are capable of doing amazing things. But, you know, if you're lost, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to find you. So stay put, folks. You know, unless there's something dangerous in that area, stay put. You know, um, it makes it much easier for, for the search and rescue people to find you. Anyway, Carrie didn't know that. Of course, it's the 60s. She's young. You know, she takes off into the woods. She's running and crying and running and crying alter alternately. And she is totally lost. Um, and as night comes on, um, she is very fearful because she knows that there are, are bears in that area and there are bears big enough to eat her, right? Um, she's 11 years old, 12 years old. Um, she goes, uh, you know, she takes some rest on, on the, the moss uh, underneath the trees and stuff. But, you know, as she's making her way through the woods, she's becoming more and more exhausted. Um, she's not able to sleep, of course, because she's terrified uh, that she's going to be eaten or something terrible is going to happen to her. Um, she continued on in this manner for several days. And I th think that really the only way that she survived was she had the presence of mind to stop. And, you know, it was full berry season. So she's eating berries um, off the trees whenever or off the bushes whenever she can. Um, but she's not. You know, she's not uh, uh, taking in enough calories to really maintain herself. And she's getting weaker with each passing day. So night had fallen once again. Um, and it seemed that the thing that Carrie had feared most that a bear was going to get her was about to happen because she heard something large moving in the forest. Um, now, I thought this was kind of funny, so I'm going to read it to you. The child addressed the supposed bear in her native tongue, telling it that, I know you're going to eat me, so do it fast and start with my head. Oh, boy. <laughs> so she continues talking to this bear in, in her in the Ojibwe language. She's calling it grandfather, which is a term of respect. Mm -hmm. um, she tells it she's lost. She tells it that she's losing her mind with fear. I mean, she's so, I mean, she figures this thing's going to eat her. She might as well, you know, have a chat with it while she's waiting, right? So she waits for the inevitable and nothing happens. Um, whatever it was that was moving around in the brush stops moving. Um, but it, it keeps keep creeping closer and then it stops moving and then it keeps, you know, coming closer. Um, she remembered that it smelled like little puppy poop <laughs> yeah, or, or roots freshly dug out of the swamp. 
um, whatever the animal was, it stayed close to her, but it didn't come right up to her. So she realized that she wasn't going to get eaten immediately. She reaches out and discovers that she can touch this thing and that it had hair kind of like a beaver pelt. Mm. So, so she had no idea oh what this thing was, right? Um, it didn't move anything. I mean, it didn't do anything when she touched it, but it got up and walked around. Uh, actually, it didn't do anything. Uh, but she got it. She kind of had a hold of it. But when she let go of it, it started to walk around. And then it bumped her. And she almost fell down. And she was like, oh, boy, here it comes. You know, this is the part where I become a snack, right? But then it bumped her again. And she got up and, and she started to move. And as she's moving along, this being, whatever it is, is bumping her in one direction or bumping her in, in another direction. And, and keep, keeping her moving on a, in a particular direction. Um, she's going along. It's nighttime. It's pitch black under the forest canopy. So she has no idea what it is that's walking along and bumping her, right? Until day breaks. And she realizes that she's looking at a Sasquatch. Now, when she wow. realizes this, she tries to hide from the creature, but it's like, nah, it just it's standing there doing the typical peeking out from behind the, the tree behavior, right? So she knows it's not a bear, but she doesn't really know what it is. She continues along her way, and this, this Sasquatch keeps bumping her, you know, moving her in a particular direction. It doesn't, you know, like take her hand or anything like that. It just keeps nudging her until she, she gets to, uh, you know, moving in the direction it wants her to go in. Finally, she actually comes out of the forest into a clear-cut area that she recognizes is a place where uh, the residents, the, the, the Ojibwe people, had cut down some trees to build an airstrip. Because, you know, it's a remote area. Sometimes the only way you can get supplies, medical equipment, the medical emergency, get somebody out is by air. Um, sure. She knew where she was right away. And she walks away from the tree to, from the Sasquatch, which is standing in the tree line, walks out to the highway and, and there's a truck coming. Um, so she gets picked up by, uh, by an older gentleman and his son that she knew. Um, so she's crying and hugging the old man, uh, uh, you know, and she tells him that she didn't get eaten by a bear. And he says, well, did you see a bear? And, and she's like, oh, I saw this bear with long arms that looked like a monkey. <laughs> and the older man, you know, basically tells her grandchild, you were blessed to be saved by this creature. So he takes her home. Um, and, uh, you know, she's bruised and bloodied and scratched up. And, you know, she's been through quite the ordeal. Right. Um, and her parents are just happy to see her alive. And, uh, you know, she tells her story and her parents are like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Her sisters start teasing her about her being the girl who touched a bear. Um, but while right. her, her parents didn't initially support the story, her father eventually comes out 
comes along, you know, later and tells her that when he was a young child, he got lost in the woods too. And a giant monkey took care of him by feeding him fish, <laughs> you know, by supplying wow. him with fish until he could, until he could get out of, uh, uh, until he could get out of, of his situation. So, you know, while on the one hand, we see that the Sasquatch can be very territorial and very scary. On the other hand, you know, we have these stories, as you said, of, of people actually being saved by these creatures. Um, I, this wasn't in Canada, but um, I was recently reading a story uh, in Tom Powell's The Locals, uh, a young girl whose uh, father, uh, she's deaf, and her father has a drinking problem. And uh, she's looking out uh, the window of her home and sees a Sasquatch carrying somebody um, and deposits this person in the front yard. Turns out it's her father um, who had crashed oh his truck, gosh. you know, because he'd been drinking. He crashed his truck like three miles away. And this being had carried him back to the house. Um, so wow. that, uh, you know, he could be taken care of. So, you know, Sasquatch aren't all bad. You know? <laughs> Just depends on who you run into, I guess. And I, I have to think, Morgan, that it that also is like... has to do with what your attitude toward these creatures is. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. as you say, if you come into, uh, I would want to be one of these yahoos that sits out in the forest with a gun who wants to bag a Sasquatch um, if yeah, they actually encountered one of these creatures. Because first of all, um, I don't think they would survive the encounter. <laughs> you know? um, and second, second of all, they would probably end up being amongst those people who go missing and nobody ever finds them. Um, I just, yeah. you know, I think it has a lot to do with your attitude toward these beings and you know what your experience is going to be like you know well i'll tell you it's what we found with sure. dogman here is i mean you know the more positive we are the mm -hmm. more positive we get back and the, the the it's it's been phenomenal with you know what we found and i mean any whether animal spiritual or not i mean they all everybody including sure. people respond to energy and respond to our intentions and you know i i agree but uh, Travis, this has been absolutely wonderful. I I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing these stories. And I really hope that everybody can pick up a copy of Sasquatch Canada Beyond British Columbia. Uh, it is it, it's really a really great book. So we thank you so much for well. Thank you for having for me. On. I, I always enjoy talking with you and Mike. And uh, you know, I, it's always fun to 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 sit around and and and, and talk with like minded people. <laughs> Yeah, it's like campfire stories. That's kind of the way I look yeah, at it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we could we could do a great job of scaring a crud out of people out in the woods. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, let's do it. That would be a blast. Oh, that would there be a go. blast. That's our next yeah. event, Mike. All right, let's get together and, and tell, tell Sasquatch right. stories over a campfire. <laughs> or dogman exactly. stories or, you know, yeah, UFO exactly. stories. All the above. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two books full of stuff I could tell Absolutely. stories about. Absolutely. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And this has been great. Okay. And we'll talk to you soon. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Health Care. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Health Care, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called Challenging Your Limiting Beliefs. Here's the bad news, guys. Everyone has limiting beliefs. Everyone. So what are they? Any story we tell ourselves that is in direct contrast to what we really want. I want to be happy. Yeah, right. You'll never be happy. It's possible for me to be rich. Yeah, yeah, right. Your parents were poor as dirt. I'm talented. Yeah, right. No one has bought my art in years. Limiting beliefs can start anywhere, sometimes beginning in places of childhood, such as parents or school. But ultimately, they are our responsibility as adults. We may not have caused them, but they are our responsibility to change. One way to do this is to ask yourself these three questions when one of these limiting beliefs hits your awareness. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If that belief hits on any of those three questions, it's time to reevaluate. Part of what allows us to reevaluate our lives is accountability. And the first person and most important that we are accountable to is us. We owe it to ourselves to be loving, kind, gentle, and above all else, honest. Keep these three questions on your radar. And the next time your limiting beliefs gets in the way, give them a run for their money. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at DarkPatine.com. Feel free to email the show at SupernaturalCircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now. <laughs>